This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Mancini, partner Control Risks, and I lead our Asia Pacific Markets Group. The old cliche about China is that it's a country of contrasts. We've seen this in the past years, from the trade tensions with the U.S. to regulatory interventions across multiple industries, and we've seen what some would say are sharp and unexpected twists and turns, the most recent being when China put an abrupt end to the zero COVID policy in December. So with China now newly open, there's indeed cautious optimism for this coming year. The IMF has raised its forecast for China's economic growth up to 5.2% this year and expects the country to contribute up to a third of global growth. And we're seeing even China's vice premier at Davos in January say, and I quote, foreign investment is welcome and the door to China will only open further. So there are indeed some encouraging indicators that we're seeing. And even the statistics on the ground are, are looking good from tourism and box office revenues to the purchasing managers index that just came out in January. So there are some optimistic uh, signs here, but while there's hope, as we know, the complexity of doing business in China should never be ignored. There are still underlying challenges that haven't changed in terms of geopolitics and local regulations. And in fact, the recent balloon incident is just a microcosm of this. So as we see, China is still a market capable of creating high expectations and even larger surprises, both on the upside and the downside. So with that, that's what we're going to discuss today. A lot of our global clients are planning trips into China to evaluate their businesses for the first time in years right now. The question of what China will look like for investors going forward is perhaps the business question of the moment. I think the key for this year is we call it great expectations. The rest of the world expects China to lead the recovery. And China's going to do well this year. We're, we're looking forward to that. But there still are challenges, geopolitical tensions and, and regulatory pressures and things like that. Companies have to think differently about this market than they did pre-COVID. I think we all agree that consumers are really going to be the hero of the Chinese economy in 2023. They're really going to be the main story. So as companies, you really have to think about what that means for your consumer business. So we really think brand protection is going to be front and center. And on top of that, really running a compliant, fit for purpose, healthy business in China is really going to be core to making sure you can capitalize on that surging consumer market in 2023. That was Kent Kettle, partner and head of Greater China and North Asia, and Yifei Zhang, general manager of East China. Both of them are based in Shanghai, and they've been watching the changes in the China market for years, including living through COVID lockdowns and the COVID reopening. Kent and Yifei spend all day every day out talking to clients in China about China and also foreign clients that are looking at that market. And we're excited, Kent and Yifei, to speak with you both today. So Kent, let's start with you. It's been more than two months now since the end of the zero COVID policy What is the situation on the ground in China now? I'd be keen for you to share some of your observations during this initial opening period. Yeah, thanks, Angela. I think it's all still kind of a surprise to many of us who had lived through the past nearly three years here. And and if I think back to even four months ago, we weren't expecting the opening to be this quick. Uh, I don't think anybody was. It, it, it came as a surprise to many of us. Um, and so, you know, once we got through the initial waves of COVID and had a huge impact on our company, but all of our clients as well, we're starting to kind of 
It's like you peer out of the bunker here after you've been in for a while. And what we're seeing is an emerging market here again, uh, getting back a feel of what it used to be before COVID, but we know that it's not going to be exactly the same. We've got a growing consumer market during Chinese New Year. There's a lot of consumer companies really had some record sales, particularly again, compared to the last couple of years. There's long queues everywhere. The bars and the restaurants are full in the evenings. International travel is starting. Certainly Chinese are traveling other places and foreigners are slowly starting to trickle back. But kind of as you said in your intro, there's this expectation that China is is going to be the salvation, not only of itself, you know, but of Asia and maybe the rest of the world, a third of global growth is, is going to happen. We do see things that are still quite challenging out there, even though we're all very encouraged that things have opened up. So, okay, it sounds like it's been a good initial start. And certainly, I think a lot of investors are happy that there has not been any policy changes since the start of zero COVID, right? Um, That was a concern, I think, in the beginning. And it sounds like a lot of great expectations, but widening our lens a little bit, what do you think then the China market outlook is for the full calendar year as you look into 2023 more broadly? So I think certainly on the upside, we're seeing many fewer supply chain disruptions. The amount of time everybody spent on just managing zero COVID policies among in their factories, even among their suppliers, in their sales and distribution, it was it was intense, the amount of time and effort and frankly money that, that people spent on that. That is getting much better. The party and the government are refocusing on economic growth. That is a priority here. And they're talking about it a lot. They're encouraging it. They're They're putting their money where their mouth is as well. We have a number of clients who had plans pre-COVID to invest in capacity expansion, factory expansion here. And they're finding that going to the government officials that are over the location where they're in, these government officials are... Santa Claus. They're just giving all sorts of advantages and gifts and tax breaks and investment incentives and and things like that. A client of mine who's from Shanghai himself said it felt like the 1990s. He said, you know, when foreign companies were were just being given so many things. So those are some really good things. And I think those will continue. There are some challenges, though. The foundation for geopolitical tensions is still there. And that the balloon incident is a great example of that, that it just... What could have been worked out, and in the old days would have been worked out, kind of through some you know back office communication and things like that, really took on a very tense feeling, and not only geopolitically, but domestically, both in China and in the U.S. So those geopolitical tensions are going to continue. We don't, we're telling clients that you have to assume that that's going to continue happening. And that is, I hate the phrase new normal, but that is. In addition, the regulatory pressure is going to continue. We think that there's been a bit of a pause in regulations like data and food safety and anti-bribery, anti-competition, things like that. But we think now that business is getting back to hopefully more normal, the regulatory pressures that have been happening you know, starting 10 years ago, they're still going to be there. The authorities are not going to say, oh, never mind, just kidding. You know, We're going to go back to the old days where we really weren't enforcing anything. That enforcement is still going to be there. And so our clients are kind of concerned about that enforcement environment and really identifying that. On the policy side, finally, you mentioned it just briefly, the two meetings is coming up here, the Lianhui, they call it in China. And this is really happens here later in March. And that's the you know one of the two big political meetings here in China this year over the past 12 months. And this is when policy comes out. 
This is when the policy initiatives come out. We find out what the authorities are really going to be thinking of, what they want to reform, what they want to leave alone, what they want to enforce. That's going to be coming out as well. So we're really keeping our eyes open here over the next four to six weeks to see what they're going to be doing. Yes, they want to encourage economic growth, but they don't want to do that at all costs. They do want a regulated environment in data, in safety, in security, in all these things. So they're going to be thinking of that as well. That's extremely interesting. Yifei, let's turn to you. You spend a lot of time out meeting with clients and also advising boards. And I feel like with both you and Kent, uh, it's really a front row seat into understanding what clients are grappling with, worried about, and asking us. Can you give us some insight there? What are the key issues that you have our clients asking us right now about? Yeah, thanks, Angela. So I would first say that a lot of the things we've already talked about in terms of you know, where the market is heading, but also our read on how the regulators really play uh, into promoting and sort of creating space uh, for different industries here are very first and foremost on businesses' minds. Um, actually, in a, I find it odd that you know, when you're outside of China and you're looking at news about China, there seems to be this glut and predominance of talking about all issues seemingly from a national security perspective. And that's almost a giant disservice to the hard, difficult, rigorous sort of work that has to be done by the businesses this year in China market to make it make it a success. And I think a lot of international businesses will be looking at the China market this year as a key point for success because they're going to find that in a lot of other emerging markets where they doubled down on uh, future growth prospects for the last couple of years, it's going to be a tough year for a lot of other emerging markets, but China will be uh, a bright point in that. Echoing something that I think you and Kent already mentioned, uh, I think 2023 in China is really going to be the year of the consumer. So one of the big things that we are talking about now with clients is if you're not really doubling down on huge investments, you're not sort of growing out these big deals, but nevertheless, you're looking for a way to generate additional value in this market, you're going to be really trying to focus in on things like value protection and brand protection. So what that means really is basically issues like anti-counterfeiting, issues like monitoring the smart monitoring for, for your brand, monitoring for brand sentiment. And you know, offline retail has always been a big issue for brands that touch on the consumer directly, right? So household products, food, healthcare, pharma, all those things that everybody sort of already knows has been the big success story in China the last couple of years. But I think the online picture, which is growing and growing and growing, but also the, the meeting point of that online success, as well as this incredibly sensitive and heightened online nationalistic cohort of the population, along with what is pretty much you know, the most sophisticated you know, group of consumers in the world, means that it's going to be a challenging year for these types of companies. Nevertheless, that's going to be the type of company that's probably going to find that China's can potentially be the big success story for them. And I mean, the regulators agree on this. The economists agree on this. I mean, I think the consultancies, we agree on this. Really, 2023 is going to be the year of the consumer in China. So we're having a lot of conversations about that first and foremost with a lot of business executives. I think there's three other things that we're talking about a lot. One of them you guys have already mentioned, which is travel back into China. A lot of business executives are chomping at the bit to kind of come back into the country. 
there's still, I think, a little bit of surprise about the fact that that's not just a super given, super easy kind of process. There are still some complications in that. We expect that to get easier and to get smoother as the year goes on. But I think there is this sort of sense about, well, I haven't been here for three years. I'm coming back in. Is there uh, additional prep, additional information, additional things about the realities on the ground I need to address for before I come in? I think commensurate with that is something that is on top of the mind for all these business executives and you know, sort of these global heads of companies who are now coming back in is what are other people doing? You know, uh, China is going to be a big part of the global strategy this year still. You know, how are adjacent industries and how are my competitors really figuring out their China strategy? So we're getting a lot of questions about some of these systemic and these macro level factors that we've we've already mentioned. But there's a lot of this sort of looking around the table, looking around the corner, trying to figure out what other people are, are sort of having on their plate in, in terms of being able to deal with that. And then finally, something that we've seen, it hasn't really been a change factor, but has been on, I think, everybody's plate even during the COVID lockdowns, but it's very much still an issue now, is this, I'm going to have a challenging year. I'm still expected to grow this year. I'm going to tough it out and really get through my China strategy, but I need to make sure I have a stable and healthy business and a compliant business while I'm doing that. And again, three years not being in the country, not having a close examination, close watch of that business, are things really the way you kind of remember them being? And are they set up, especially in terms of your internal governance and your internal controls, the way you you sort of expected them to be? Are you really in kind of this healthy, fit shape to run the marathon? You know, I think a lot of people are going to be going through these internal reviews as well to make sure that they're ready for this rigorous market challenge in the year and in the coming years ahead. We'll get back to our discussion with Kent and Ife shortly. In the meantime, you're welcome to click on the link included in the podcast notes to subscribe to our Asia in Focus podcast series, where you'll find regular readings on the latest trends across the region. And if you're looking for more of our insights on the China market specifically, please do visit our China business page on the Control Risk website. And with that, Kent and Yifei, let's get back to our discussion. Kent, let's go back to you. The question we often get from clients is, is China's door still open to foreign investment? And we see pressure on this coming also from the Chinese government. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, some of the regulation is including the trend towards localization. Do you think that, you know, to what extent is China really still open for foreign investment and how much? And, you know, to what extent does that localization push by the government put pressure on foreign investors to make significant changes in their business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And and all this stuff from the trade war and decoupling and, you know, all, all sorts of phrases that, that get kicked around there. First of all, China is still very, very welcoming to foreign investment. And like I said before, everybody is feeling it and local officials are very welcome. It's very different from what it was 20, 25 years ago, though. 20 or 25 years ago, no matter what you were doing, they were welcoming. You could be doing anything, low-tech, high-tech, anything. They, they would almost equally welcome you. The authorities are more picky right now. They obviously don't want things that are environmentally polluting. They don't want low-tech stuff. They don't want the stuff. They, they want to raise the bar here 
Um, and yeah, they want they want to provide good, high level jobs for their people. They want to learn. Apart from the conversation of IP stealing and things like that, if you're working with a higher caliber of company, you're going to learn more. And you know, companies in the West have benefited from that, just as companies in China are right now. So they're very welcoming of those kinds of things. They've also made it very clear, as I said before, that they're not going to ignore the regulations. Again, environment, data, things like that. So companies really do have to think a little bit differently about how they do this. This is more difficult for companies who have been here for 25, 30 years because they came in under an old way of thinking. And now the government is saying, yeah, you're still welcome, but we're going to require more from you. As Yifei said, the compliance is absolutely critical and we are going to require you to be compliant. For the localization things, there are probably two main cost, two main drivers. Um, one is the cost down driver. The authorities and frankly consumers, and I mean everybody wants cheaper product here. And the assumption is, if you can build it locally, it's going to be cheaper than if you import it. So in sectors like healthcare, life sciences, biotech, consumer. All of those things, they're really pushing on that kind of thing. Tesla setting up a factory here a couple of years ago was an example of, yeah, they, they could you know do it like high-end cars and import, but they went through the roof when they started building locally. Took them a long time to do it, or it really had to think carefully about it. So cost drivers are certainly part of that. One of the concerns, and this has been the past couple of years as geopolitical tensions have risen, one of the concerns for our clients right now is our geopolitical drivers going to require them to be more local. For example, uh, we have a lot of American companies who are saying in the midst of US-China stresses, what if I walk into one of my customers one day, particularly if they're a state-owned enterprise, and they look at me and say, listen, I love working with you, but I've been told by my bosses that I've got to look for something else. I can't buy American, or I can't only buy American. I have to look for a Chinese option. I can even look for a European option. More and more, our clients are, are coming to us and saying, I'm either hearing that or it is a real concern of mine. And again, five years ago, I don't know, we would never would have really run into that. That wasn't a concern. And so we're doing a lot of work with clients around what is localization? What does it mean to be local from a cost perspective, from a geopolitical perspective, from your client's perspective? And then how do you get there? It's, it's not just snap your fingers and you're suddenly local. And I go back to the word decoupling, that people are you know decoupling supply chains and things like that. That's impossible. We have been coupling for 40 years. You don't decouple overnight, all right? We like the term insulate. You're insulating your supply chains. If another global pandemic happened, if a geopolitical tensions arose, if any of these things, could you continue working China for China? Could you continue working elsewhere that China used to be part of. How flexible are you in those kinds of things? Those are some of the considerations uh, we think that companies need to think of right now. And it's, it's very risk-based. It's not just operational. It's identifying what are those risks that you need to respond to and then putting your plan together that addresses those things. Not everything is equally concerning. You really have to rank those things and make sure you're paying attention to the right things. You say anything you want to add to that? Yeah, we had this conversation recently with a um, major client that supplied the automotive market. And, you know, he said something very interesting. He said, look, I, I'm not number one in the market here. I'm not number two in the market here. I don't know if I'll even still be number three or number four in the market here this year, but I'm okay with that because I need to be in the world's largest automotive market to be relevant anywhere else. So the reality of that is China's speed 
I mean, you look at how quickly the country went through the reopening and how quickly people are now back in offices and the productivity resurge. China's speed is coming for other markets, whether or not other markets like it or not. And Chinese companies are going to be going in other markets. So there are some industries, you know, auto, special materials, robotics, fintech, you know, these type of really bleeding edge kind of industries where if you're not here, it's going to be increasingly hard to make this argument that you're going to be relevant in other areas as well. So a lot of people are staying really committed to, to this market, not because they they think it's necessarily going to be the biggest input for a certain business unit for them globally, but because there's a huge amount of information, contextual, commercial, and you know, in some cases, technological, that they're using to understand where global markets will be heading in the next cycle or in the next quarter. Mm-hmm. And the decoupling, whether or not we're talking about a sanction or a part of the supply chain, that's going to be the hardest part, really, for, for companies to decouple, is this idea that the commercial elements and the technological elements here somehow are don't affect these other markets or these third markets other than, than China and the U.S. Because the reality is... This game is already happening, this competition is already happening, and there's companies already deciding that they still need to understand and get ahead of it before it gets them. So those are great points. And um, for the last question, I want to come to both of you, and I'll start with Kent. Okay, there's a lot there. I mean, I've heard you both say, you know, there's optimism, it's a great market, a lot of reasons to be there, uh, not the least of which is, you know, obviously economic growth, but a lot of other reasons that you just outlined quite articulately. But so what's our advice? Um, what are you actually saying to clients as you, I know, Kent, you spend a lot of time in clients' boardrooms advising at the most senior level on how do you think about these risks and now how do you mitigate them? What do you put in place to actually get after some of these concerns to grow, you know, as secure, compliant, resilient as business as you can? Yeah, it's a great question, and 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 strangely, that's that's the question that others, other clients are asking as well. I, I think Ife, you said this; they want to know what others are doing. You know, they all they kind of want to know where it's going. And the story I always tell is we got called in last year by a, a European tech company, and uh, the Asia CEO sat down and and she said uh, we need some help with a risk assessment, and really kind of focusing on geopolitical risk assessment. And I said, sure, that's what we do. She said, but we only want you to look at a worst case scenario. And I said, really? That's interesting. We usually, you know, look at all scenarios. She goes, no, she goes, for the, you know, most likely case and best case, we've been in China for 40 years. We think we know the market. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty good there. She said, but we are not wired as a company to consider a worst case scenario. We have to wake up every morning and think, doggone it, yes, there are challenges, but we got it. We got the right strategy. We got the right people. Here we go. Ignore the worst case scenario. But she says, I think the past six or seven years have proven that global multinationals are really, really bad at worst case scenario planning. We missed a trade war. We missed a global pandemic. We missed a land war in Europe. We missed a, you know, we missed all this stuff. She said, so we need some help with that. And I laughed and I, I, I said, so what you're looking for is reasonable paranoia. And she said, yes, exactly. She said, we need to be paranoid, but we need help with that. And she said, we want to outsource our paranoia to you. Great. Okay. Yeah, it's not on my business card, but that'll work. So doing things like that, where they have to be able to tell their board, listen, this is a great market, but it could get bad. If it's going to get bad, how will it get bad? Which way will it go? And more usefully, what's the trajectory there? If there's going to be an issue with Taiwan and China, it's not going to happen overnight. 
there are going to be triggers. There are going to be things that kind of escalate over time. What does that look like? What does that look like for our business? How can we monitor those triggers so we really feel that we've got as much as we possibly can, we've got the worst case covered? We're not lazy and calling it a black swan anymore. We really are considering it and we're thinking very carefully about it. That's probably the number one thing because, as I said before, geopolitics is getting into business operations now. That's where it's hitting us. If you wake up in the morning in China and you ask your question, will my customer buy from me because I'm an American company or because I'm a a German company? That is geopolitics impact on operations. A very new thing to consider, and we really need to put plans in place and a, and a better understanding of what that real risk is if we're going to operate successfully here in an expanding market. Yife, anything to add there in terms of advice that you're giving to your clients? Uh, no, I, I give that same worst case scenario advice. They also kind of go, yeah, you know, two or three years ago, we would have been very surprised, but just how quickly things have shifted, even in I mean, I'm just thinking in the even in the last month to two months, how quickly things have shifted. There's people always talk about China speed and, you know, you're out of the country for a year and you come back and you kind of go, oh, my goodness. Uh, but now this seems to be the relationship between China and Europe and the U.S. seems to be shifting on a on a monthly basis. Right. So I think this planning ahead, this sort of setting out your scenarios about uncertainty for the future is more important than ever. But also, I think this recognition that you sort of can't just put this country in a box and then sort of walk away from it, right? I mean, you know, we were talking about China plus one. China plus one has been on everybody's lips, it seems like, for, for a couple of years now. But it's not just the one. It's the plus one. The plus is still relevant. And a lot of people, I think, are understanding that supply chains are moving to other places in Asia Pacific. They're moving to other regional locations. But it's very hard to disentangle. And a lot of these investments into the supply chain also mean you have to reinvest, in some cases, back in into China as well. Because some of these new locations really rely on a lot of inputs, a lot of components, a lot of shipping from China as well. So we're asking people to sort of say, think about things in stages, rather than uh, jumping to, you know, uh, jumping to the idea that you can just put part of the business into a hole and sort of imagine that the risk doesn't exist anymore. That's great. Kent, we'll give you the last word. Anything to finish off the discussion? Yeah. One thing that people who focus on risk were always criticized, were criticized as being kind of the ghost of Christmas future. You know, we're showing you all the doom and gloom that's out there and we're dressed in a black <laughs> black outfit and, and are morose and things like that. Nothing could be further from the truth, at least kind of how we like to work. We like to focus on the opportunities. And if you're in China, and I've been in China now for 35 years, it's been nothing but opportunity. Now, the opportunities have changed, but the road on the way to those opportunities has changed as well. Risk management is even more important to be able to capture those opportunities. And the, the, a really good example is the compliance uh, environment here. It's really tightening up. And and some clients have said, well, you, you know, it's like they're creating a box around me and I feel kind of boxed in by all these things. And, you know, they talk to headquarters and headquarters uses usual, well, you just have to think outside the box, you know, the usual uh, 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 inspirational quote. And I, I told that to a Chinese friend of mine and he said, he said, you foreigners, he said, in China, there's always a box. He said, the opportunities are inside that box. You have to think where the walls of that are. And there is a huge creative space in there. 
and a space for opportunity and a space for growth. But you have to consider those walls around that. And the Chinese authorities are not going to get away from that. Western companies think very negatively about regulations. And we need to say that, listen, they're, they're the guardrails on the road. To a certain extent, they're there to keep us safe. They're hard to understand sometimes, but that's our job is to understand them and then to find that creative opportunity space in the middle where we truly can grow our companies. That's great. So what I've taken from this conversation is, again, where we started was, what is trying to look like in the year ahead? Are we cautiously optimistic or are we not? What does that mean for businesses? And what I'm hearing you saying is, it is optimistic and maybe not even cautiously. It's just optimistic. The issue is how you manage it. So we've talked about the year of the consumer, particularly for healthcare and pharma and consumer brands and just being careful with that. And we've talked about some of the things clients need to do. So Yifel, I like the way you put it, which is clients saying, I'm traveling back in. What do I need to know? I need to make sure I'm fit, meaning am I compliant? And I want to get an understanding, if I can, of what others are doing. How are others grappling with this? But I guess the, the big takeaway that I'm, I'm getting here is it's a great market. It is an optimistic time, but you sure need to manage it. And you can do that with scenarios and mapping out the triggers. And again, having a, a good, strong, compliant business in place. Again, being careful with which sectors you're in and then go for it. So it's a, you know, a great opportunity. It sounds like in the, in the year ahead. And I'd love to have you both back on the podcast in the coming weeks. And we can talk more about how clients are seeing opportunities as they hit the ground and as they're devising their um, their 2023 strategies going forward. So with that, it just leaves it to me to thank uh, Kent and Ife for this great discussion. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in. That's all for today's Asia in Focus. And if you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to our podcast channel so you'll receive all new episodes just as soon as they're released. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.